it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve in the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix sci-fi, Sir Patrick Stewart, gratuitous nudity, and vampires? Why, you get the film Life Force. Welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. This film, this episode, is brought to you by a Twitter user, Jonesy the Space Cat, which is at BadgermanBadger on Twitter. He was the 400th follower of the podcast, so I let him torture me with whatever film that he wanted me to watch, which just happened to be Life Force. Now, I've heard a lot about this film, and if anybody out there follows the podcast, How Did This Get Made?, they did a very good review, uh, well, more of a good talk and discussion about this film. And I'm going to go into it a lot more depth than they did, of course. Uh, but that was kind of my first introduction to this movie. Uh, it's something that I really had no interest in seeing. But I'm willing to watch anything, uh, anybody who follows at the hundreds of the podcast. So if you listen to me and you don't follow me on Twitter... Uh, every time I get near a hundred new followers, I will request uh, from that hundredth follower a new film. Uh, we actually just before this episode uh, finished up, we hit follower number five hundred, and that film will be uh, talked about in an episode later. This uh, might be actually be next month because uh, we do have uh, at the end of this episode. We have the results of a Twitter poll and Facebook poll that I ran on a film franchise on what film of that franchise should I watch. So I will announce that at the end of the episode. And then at the following end of that episode, you'll find out what film the 500th follower uh, on Twitter was suggesting I watch. And it's funny because... Uh, we've talked about this film before and I've talked about this film with this person before uh, and he sneakily got in and became follower 500. So uh, <laughs> that is a tease for a tease to find out what film it is. Of course, if you follow me on Twitter, you know what the film is. But for those that don't, you'll find out about that later and you'll find about though this episode what we'll be watching next so, let's talk about Life Force. Uh, wow. Uh, I'm already going to put a disclaimer out here in the beginning of the episode because it's really the 
I don't want to say tone of the film, but the pacing of the film. That's a much better way to talk about it. The pacing of this film is really slow. Uh, it So a lot of these clips that I'm going to play, they tend to be on the longer side only because the pacing of it, there's so many pauses sometimes in between spots of dialogue. So one of them, I mean... I tried to do one clip, and I ended up bringing it down to a much smaller clip, but I wanted to play more of it, but the problem was, if I wanted to play everything that I wanted you guys to hear for that clip, it would have been almost a five-minute clip, because of the pauses in between, and the little bits of action that do, well, I don't know if I want to call them action, but the, the little bits that happen in between each part of the... I, I, like explanation of what's kind of going on would have been relatively long uh, and that's just the pace now I don't know if that's because the version of this film that I saw happened to be the blu-ray director's cut of this film and maybe that's why it seemed a little longer because I think the standard running time of the film is about an hour and a half maybe an hour 40 minutes and this almost clocked in at the two hour mark so I haven't seen the original version of the film, and maybe I should have, but you guys can get the director's cut version, which I feel is just a little bit longer, and uh, it's just a little more drawn out. Now, I could be totally wrong, and it you know they're about the same, but please bear with me, as this is the version that I could find uh, to make sure that I review this movie uh, for everyone out there. So... Without further ado, we're going to get a little explanation from the narrator that somehow shows up in the beginning, but never fucking shows up again. August 9th, 2.30 p.m., Greenwich Mean Time. The HMS Churchill, outward bound. On board a joint British-American space team. Their mission, to intercept and study the comet bearing Dr. Edmund Haley's name. The Churchill is the first spacecraft equipped with the Nerva engine. It propels the Churchill with constant acceleration, Enough to create Earth-type gravity for the first time on an extended flight. The Churchill is on course for its rendezvous. Now, I should also mention before this that this is based on a book called Space Vampires. So, right away, during the credit titles, you know what this movie is actually about. If you saw the title Life Force, like me, when I first was thinking about it, I was like, wait, no, isn't that a game by Konami? Which was an old NES game, and that game has nothing to do with this movie, and the movie really has nothing to do with the game, as far as I know. Uh, and you can look it up, it really was like a space shooter, I think it was a uh, kind of a sequel to another Konami shoot 'em up uh, that had come before it, Gradius, or it was just a kind of Gradius vein version of the game, but... I could go into it more, but I really kind of don't want to because it's not really anything to do with the movie. But when you first search for it, that's everything that really popped up to me and really popped up in my head. But it turns out that, no, this movie's about space vampires because it's based on a book, like I said, called Space Vampires. Uh, so you you automatically know that right away if you're paying attention to the credits. Second thing uh, is that... Uh, this is another canon film. So this is two canon films in a row. And it seems like canon kind of did these types of movies. Um, where they're kind of... It feels like low-budget horror movies. But this one actually has some pretty cool effects in it. That I think were good for the time that the movie was made. Not necessarily 
good now. Some of them aren't necessarily that good, but other times they look really cool. And you can kind of see where they spent some of the budget on their puppetry to do some of the effects and where they decided not to spend any budget whatsoever. Uh, especially during one of the key moments of the film. Lastly, the music of this movie is actually really good, and it's done by the London Symphony Orchestra. I was very surprised when I saw that pop up during the titles, and uh, the music in general, I think it's pretty good. The intro and the outro, which are the same, are kind of the weakest points of the score. Other than that, I thought most of the music was relatively good. And normally, I don't talk about the music when it comes to these films. Unless, you know, it's like Bride of Chucky where we're using butt rock all the whole time. But with this film, like, the score is actually relatively enjoyable. I mean, I would probably sit down and it, maybe this would be one of the bigger purchases that I would make towards a film score. Just for the orchestral music that's in it. Like I said, intro and outro, eh. I could do without. It's got a driving force where it makes it more exciting than it actually is. Uh, but in general, uh, the rest of the score, you know, beats it hands down. So we find out that there is an expedition, as explained in the previous introduction to the film. And this is a joint American and UK expedition. And we're going to be focusing just right now on one of their ships. And it looks kind of weird because it looks like a standard, like, spaceship as you would know them. But it's got these giant, like, uh, fan-type wings. And they stretch out. It looks more like a satellite in the beginning when you first see it. And then as you look closer, you notice, oh, that's a standard spaceship. And it's just got those weird satellite wings on there. And it's the first ship ever to have gravity. Earth gravity. So they can walk around and be free and just use a stupid normal set when they're walking through the ship. Like, the ship's interior doesn't quite look like the ship's exterior. At least not what I would expect. When you think of a spaceship, uh, it wouldn't look like a normal spaceship, right? It's like, literally, they took a model from some kid's playset and said, Okay, well, we're going to just attach these, like, you know, wings on the outside of it that uh, really don't do anything. But make it look a little different than us just using the standard model that we bought over here. So they decide, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, but they are trying to go to Haley's Comet, right? And when they get closer, they see that there's something that looks like a giant dick uh, protruding at the end of the comet. So they say, hey, we got to go to inspect that because we don't know, well, it's going to be at least another 70 years or so before the next run of Halley's Comet by the planet, and we got to make sure that we inspect everything about it. So as they get closer, they decide what the heck they're going to do. What are you going to do? We're going in. We're only going to get one chance there, Richie. That thing won't be back for another 76 years, and we'll both be dead. We have to take a look now. And here comes one of my biggest complaints about this film. Everybody seriously acts like they're bored. For the most part. There's a couple of guys. The guy that plays Kane that you'll be introduced later on to. But you have Carlson here who becomes one of the more major characters in the film. You don't really know who he is right now until really about 40 minutes into the film. You expect that he's going to be fodder or whatever for whatever's out there. 
uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself again, but he really acts like he's uninterested in what's going on. And he does get a little more yelly type of emotion, but it's still straightforward, like he's trying to hold his accent in. Because it really is primarily a British production for this film, and you spend most of the time in the UK throughout the whole, though we do go to Texas for just a little bit of the film. So the guy here that's trying to do the American accent is either having problems holding on to it, or he's just a poor actor from America, Uh, which... I probably bet a little on the latter because some of the things it's almost like William Shatner-esque in terms of him yelling. I I really thought at one point he was going to go, Con! And honestly, he never did and it made me very disappointed. So they decide that, hey, we're going to go to this weird space thing that they describe as an umbrella that I never really get why this is an umbrella. It looks more like a claw, like especially when it opens in at the end. But I guess the way they're deciding is that the end kind of opens up and then, you know, you've got so you've got the big top like an umbrella and then the long, you know, staff that goes up to the top of the umbrella. I guess you could call it that, but really there's got to be a better description of this thing than an umbrella. It literally looks like an inverted claw right on the outside. Or it looks like the extension you have like a a wing on the end of there uh, along with the long arm. Because there's all these weird spikes on the end of it and it's not quite... uh, I guess an umbrella kind of works. I still don't like it. So they all depart the ship and they begin to wonder where exactly did this thing come from? Where do you suppose this thing came from? Exploring the comet, do you think? Come on, guys. Let's do it. The surface looks badly pitted. In that case, it's been here a long time. It's a derelict, whatever it is. Stand by, Churchill. We're going in. Roger, Carlson. We copy. We have you going in. So they start traveling down what looks like the long part of the tube of this umbrella. And it's a weird effect because it kind of looks like it reminded me a little of, like, Spaceballs, like, when they were flying around the ear and just the way that they were traveling. But it's kind of almost looks like you're going down either, like, somebody's intestines or, say, somebody that's having a colonoscopy uh, when the camera goes in to the butt and <laughs> you start looking around inside the intestines. It kind of looks like that, and it's a very strange and odd effect uh, in general. And... Uh, it's weird that they chose that type of look and feel. Maybe to give it more of a feel like it's a womb that they're going into, that would make a little more sense, but it, it's still just a little too odd for me. So they travel down and they begin to see some of the creatures that are now dead that are lying around the ship. Virtual. it looks like we found the occupants of the ship. They look like bats giant bats so the guy goes over and he looks at one of the bat-like creatures and he reaches out and grabs the hand and he just breaks one of the fucking fingers off and it almost turns to dust and i'm kind of like really you're just gonna go off and start desecrating dead bodies i understand these things are alien to you and they're not quite what you want them to be or what you're expecting them to be but you don't just go desecrating the dead 
that's going to get you fucked up pretty soon. And probably within the next, I don't know, like 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, also, this beginning kind of reminds me of heavy metal. If you ever saw the old cartoon uh, movie from the early 80s, there's just this vibe in the way that the set design and even the way that the monsters kind of look. It just reminds me of that film. They then pull out this giant thing that they call a bag, but it obviously looks like just a fucking net. Like, okay, I get it. Underneath, like, the net thing, just to show you that it's there, that it looks to be, like, some sort of, like, trash bag underneath the net. But honestly, it's a fucking net, and that's how you're going to get the stupid specimen back. And this happens to be one that he broke the finger off of, too. So they move in further, and as they start to move in, the umbrella actually opens up. Got to get out of here, sir. Nobody's going anywhere. Stay where you are. Churchill, this is Carlson. What's happening out there? The thing stopped opening. The only way to describe it is it's it's like a giant umbrella. Good God, it's it's absolutely enormous. Churchill, what's it doing now? Nothing, sir. By the way, the ship is actually called the Churchill. So when he's radioing back, he's radioing back to the ship, not necessarily to a person there named Churchill. That guy's got a different name that we really don't learn until about 50 minutes into the movie or possibly later. While all this crazy stuff is also going on, there's a giant light behind them that they seem to be completely ignoring. What turns out is that it's another room that's opening up, and they all decide that, hey, we're going to go into that room with the weird light. And... Whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, that's just the idea that they have, and so they go on in there. And of course, in there they find three bodies, three naked bodies, of people that have inhabited the ship. Bodies. Three bodies. Perfectly preserved. They look to me to be like an... Something's happening to me. What's wrong with me? What's wrong? Well, one, you're being a complete and utter creeper right there inside the thing, because you're hardcore staring at the girl that's naked in the center. See, there's two dudes and there's one girl. The girl is completely and utterly nude. I mean, they're all nude, but you can see everything. Uh, And honestly, she looks pretty good. I mean, they did a good casting choice if that's what they were trying to go after uh somebody that looked really beautiful uh because they hit it on the fucking head right there the other two guys though and i'm not saying that we need to see it all but they're you know naked but they're completely blocked from waist down like it's the the casing is completely fuzzy can't see shit through it it that's just the way that it is and this is kind of one of those gripes in terms of stereotypes of movies maybe not so much in the 80s but kind of now in terms of the rating system you know you're going to get a less of a such a high rating if you're gonna see vag instead of seeing dick so that's probably why it was done but i mean if you're just gonna flash it once maybe just uh, flash us a penis real fast and then get it off the screen You don't have to worry about seeing it for long periods of time. Just show that, hey, everybody's naked. It's a naked party that's in here. And there's a ton of, like, fucking coffins all over the place. Oh, guess this is where the vampire thing comes in, right? Well, we'll get into that a little later in the film. 
But as of now, they're just all completely enthralled with these three bodies that are sitting there inside these, like, glass coffins. Churchill. Churchill, if you read, there are two nude males and one female. This is Churchill. We have no picture. Come in, Tom. Churchill. I said we found a young girl. Girl? You mean human? Definitely humanoid. I'd say she's perfect. I've been in space for six months, and she looks perfect to me. Okay, so you're completely derived of any type of sexual contact, even though there are decent-looking women that are supposedly a part of this mission. You can hear one of them talking right there. And then, this is a fucking space succubus, right? She's just, even though she's not awake and not moving at all, she's completely enthralled these guys within her hold. But the female of the the group that uh, went to the ship, she doesn't seem to give a shit. Like, the other two vampires, they're not perfect to her. She's like, I've been perfectly fine seeing men. Or maybe she's pissed off at the fact that this guy's like, oh my god, that's like the most perfect woman I've ever seen. Hey, what what about me? You know, I'm, like, nice looking. No, 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 you're size. But she's naked and perfect. Absolutely perfect. Oh, my God, I can't wait to jump her non-alive bones. I mean, um, uh, we better get her back on the ship because, uh, you know, science and shit. Yeah, sure, that's what you mean. Science. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What about me? You know, I've been wanting to have sex this entire time on this ship. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I see you like a friend, but she, she's fucking perfect. So they take the damn bodies onto the ship. And of course, you know, no good is going to come of this because every man is fucking honestly jonesing after these women. Uh, It then cuts over to 30 days later and the Churchill is slowly coming into Earth's orbit. And they decide that they're going to go ahead and send out the U.S. version of the ship, the Columbia. Churchill, come in. This is Mission Control, Great Britain. Churchill, come in. This is Mission Control, Great Britain. Do you copy? Come in, Churchill. How's the orbit looking? You can see it's stable, but they're slightly off. They should have adjusted coming in, but they haven't. What do you make of that? It would appear that they uh, set their course just after they left the comet. I'd say it hasn't been updated since. The Columbia. The Columbia. So they send the Columbia after him, and the Columbia manages to dock with the Churchill relatively easy. Like, it looks like it's going straight up, and they don't actually show it docked, but in the next scene, it's completely docked to it. And I just, like, in the back of my mind, I know this is a movie, but I, I just have to imagine that... They could have showed some way of how they managed to get perfectly aligned and perfectly set up with all this stuff, especially since it obviously seems like everybody on the Churchill is probably dead at this point. So they go inside after they've docked. They open up in a very, like, slow, drawn-out sequence, open up the Churchill's doors, walk inside, and it's completely dark. Everything looks like it's been burnt to crap, especially the bodies, which are now littering the Churchill. So we know that everybody on there has died. Of course, they find the three encased inside those glass coffins, and they're perfectly fine, and they decide, hell, 
it's time to take those naked bodies with me back on home. After bringing the bodies back from the Churchill to Earth, they decide that they're going to autopsy the bodies. Now, they manage to get them out of their crystal cases, but nobody really knows why. I see. How did you open the girl's case? We didn't, Minister. We were just talking about how to get it open when it popped open of its own accord. Did you x-ray the crystal cases? We're not certain they're crystal. The casings are not metallic. I'm not even sure they're organic. The casing is right there in front of us without being there, if that makes any sense. And the bodies from the cases? We're going to do our first dissection now. Provided, of course, that Dr. Falada agrees they're dead. Falada. I don't know that I'm qualified to pass judgment on alien death. You would agree that they're less alive than we are. Well, just because they're lying there and they're not moving around doesn't mean they're necessarily dead. They could just be in some sort of, like, suspended animation, maybe for the long trip that they've had every 76 years. And every 76 years. Huh, I wonder if they're going to talk about that anytime soon. Well, they all decide that they need to figure out exactly where this came from and what those bodies are. They even put out somewhat of a fake report saying that they still haven't figured out where the missing passengers of the Challenger are. Then we get this news story that pops up that talks about Haley's Comet and what the predictions of it are. Occupying one-sixth of the entire visible horizon. On this exceptionally clear night, a group of enthusiasts are commemorating Dr. Edmund Haley's great prediction by holding an outdoor watching from the site of his original observatory at Greenwich. Our viewers may be interested to know that comets were once considered to be harbingers of evil, and that one of the earliest words for comet was disaster, which in Latin means evil star. And it may indeed be an evil star for the deep space probe Churchill. There's still no word from Her Majesty's government as to the fate of the crew, whether they're alive or dead. We can only await further developments. From the end of the report that the good doctor was watching, we cut back over to the female that's now lying on a bed in inside of an autopsy room. There's a guard that's standing uh, right next to her, and he starts creeping, and I mean really creeping hard, like staring at everything, wanting to see what she looks like, to the point that he removes the cover that's covering her, and again, we get a full shot of this space alien vampire lady. Well... Space succubus. Let's keep it at that. So he's looking over, drooling over her, and then all of a sudden she wakes up and she goes to kiss him. But instead of just kissing him, she starts sucking the life out of him. Or life force. Get it? Get it? So, space succubus. Uh, she, Or maybe we should just start calling her Nicole. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll leave it up to space succubus. So space succubus... Uh, ends up sucking the life out of her, and the doctor that was watching the port, he notices that on, I guess he's got, for some reason, uh, he's got security cam footage of the place, like, I don't know many doctors unless you're dealing with crazy people that would want security cam footage, maybe he was afraid that the guard, you know, he had been caught a couple times before when there was attractive ladies on the table that were dead, maybe he was caught like rubbing on them or getting all excited or having a Joe party or something like that. And so he had to have this camera installed and he wanted to make sure that he was the one that saw it because it's really his secret fetish that nobody else knows about. So 
he had it installed, and so when he sees this stuff actually going down, and he's like, oh shit, that's not what I wanted to happen, he has to run downstairs and tries to see what's going on, where he sees the poor guard who's been sucked of all his life force there on the ground, and she's there walking towards him. He gets this weird look on his face that he starts creeping and looks like he's about to cream his pants. And then she comes up to kiss him, but she ends up actually leaving him quite alive. So while Dr. Bukowski, which sounds very close to another word in Japanese, well, anyway, while he is getting the life force sucked out of him, Dr. Fillard, he sees that happening on Bukowski's and I am honestly having the hardest time in the world not saying the other word. Uh, I will try not to say it at any point in this podcast. Uh, and he brings down a bunch of people with him, a bunch of security guards, to see what's going on. Uh, she's left Bukowski alone, and he's just kind of winded and lying down. She runs downstairs uh, when they call for help, uh, and she's trying to escape from the place. And that's when I realized that she's not just a succubus, she's also a Sith Lord. Because she uses Force Choke, Force Lightning, and Force Push to throw the other guards out of her way and to get out of the whole facility. I mean, she literally just raises her hand and starts choking one of the guys and then looks over, puts her hand out, the guy gets hit by lightning, and then one of the other guards is like, fuck this, I ain't gonna do shit, I'm not gonna get fucking choked out or lightning, and then she walks up to the window and uses the big old force push to shatter all the windows. So, not only is she a succubus, she's a Sith Lord. You can understand how I'd come to that conclusion, right? I mean, you don't have to be all dressed up and jacked and get thrown into a fucking thing of lava to become a Sith Lord. You could just be a Sky Succubus. That's it. Sky Succubus Sith Lord. So she manages to escape. She doesn't damage these people that much. And then we get to meet Kane, who comes in on to the scene because all this crap is gone and there's been a murder. And he goes and he starts to interrogate Dr. Bukowski. Up too close. And this was murder. You say Tell me again how the girl overpowered you. She... was the most overwhelmingly feminine presence I've ever encountered. I was drawn to her on a level that... Was it sexual? Yes, overwhelmingly so. And horrible. Loss of control. And the man, the guard, was dead when you came into the room. You found him as he is now. Yeah. And the girl, she came from the ship, Churchill. Uh-huh. She spoke to you. In English? That's right. How would she know English? Now, going back, you say the ship's tapes were destroyed in the fire. No, they weren't destroyed in the fire. That's what we were told to tell the public. They were erased. Erased? Also, the Churchill's escape pod is missing. What's that mean? Did someone escape? We don't know. Unfortunately, the condition of the bodies make an accurate count impossible. Could the heat from the fire have launched the pot? No. What started the fire? The ship's oxygen system ignited. It was a terribly hot fire. 
Yet you say the three cases containing the bodies were untouched. That's correct. Where were they found? In the bay where the space truck was stored. Where everything else was charmed. Incredible. Is it not? So basically what I kind of get out of this is, at least with Bukowski, is that he was so goddamn horny that he could not fight back. And he just let it happen to him because she there was just this raw, sexual, succubus energy that he could not back off from. And he's just like, yep, I'm going to let her take my life force. But she didn't take a whole lot. She just took enough basically to go on because, hey, the other guy, he took uh, all of his life force, I should say, was taken by the succubus right? He was also struck with extreme horniness and that caused him basically to be killed off. But we know that he was a no-name guard and Bukowski is actually a character in this film. So he's not going to die right now at least or possibly never really heard from again uh, in a little while. So what we know is that she got away uh, he, this, this new character, Kane, he's been assigned now to investigate what's going on because, uh, you know, we need to understand what this life form is and what exactly had happened there on the ship. So Bukowski here, he decides that he's going to go lay down or take a little bit of a rest because he's extremely tired after dealing with the succubus directly. This then causes Kane to turn his questioning over to Dr. Falada. I noticed from your door, Dr. Falada, that your area is biochemistry. But I understand your real interest is... Death, Colonel Kane, correct. Thanatology is the name for it. Death for you, Colonel, is a bureaucratic problem. Who did it? When? Why did they do it? A problem to be solved, am I correct? And for you? Well, I'm fascinated by death itself. What happens as we die, when we die, what happens after we die? You mean life after death? Yes. Is there? What? Life after death. Do you really want to know? No. But to answer your question, yes, I think there is. If I'm correct, the life force is conserved always and in all things, even after death. And you think that applies to what's happened here tonight? Yes. Yes, I do. I think that girl, creature, drained energy, life force partially from Bukowski and totally from the guard. A vampire? It could be described that way, yes. I mean, in a sense, we're all vampires. We drain energy from other life forms. The difference is one of degree. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form. And totally dangerous. So life force kind of can be thought of like the human soul. If you believe that there's actually a soul there. Basically what they're doing is they're sucking out the human soul. And that's what's kind of giving them life. So it is very much like a vampire. But instead of it being blood, it's the human soul. Uh, We then go down into the basement, and we see that the other two vampires are actually alive. 
The two guards that are there, they start firing on the vampires. And honestly, the sound effects don't really match up to the rate the guns are firing at. And eventually, one of the two guys throws a grenade down at the, those vampires. And they ultimately think that they've been blown up by the actual two grenades. Because the other guy that's there throws one too. That were thrown at the vampires themselves. Since they think that they've been killed, they decide that they're going to go over and they're going to do an autopsy on the guard that was oogling the space succubus. And it's really, the the effects in this next scene are actually pretty well done. Uh, the animatronic body that's used reminds me of Return of the Living Dead, uh, as well as just looking relatively cool looking. I mean... For 1985, those effects, these ones that they use on this body are great. So the doctor that's there, he starts to try to perform the autopsy where, Oh, fooled you! I'm not really dead, pops up and then begins to suck the life force out of the guy that's there. And it's very awkward because nobody tries to stop it from happening. Everybody's just kind of looking around and they're just like, really like... Assume really scared, but they're all staring. But even the people behind the glass, they don't go in there with guns blazing or nothing or try to take this guy out after they saw kind of what happened with the two that were downstairs that they think they've killed. I just don't get why people would go in there. And and honestly, this, this though does look like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I can definitely tell the doctor, he chose his job poorly. Get it? So they end up quarantining him because the guy that sucked the life force, the one that we thought was dead, he sucks the life force out of the other guy and he actually gets his body back. And that's when they figure that the ability is actually transferable. I had no idea it could be passed on. What do you suggest? I would recommend that you place this body in another cell. It was two hours ago that the guard was attacked. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we're seeing a pattern here. Do as he says, Kelly. Yes, sir. Also, I want the two other bodies that were shot, the males. Collect the pieces and watch them. Get me the Home Secretary on the line now. Sir. Now, it made me wonder here, what's going to happen with those pieces exactly? It's kind of in the minds of them. Are they all going to merge back together like some sort of T-2000 and then become space vampires again? I mean... There isn't the succubus angle to these ones, right? They didn't entice anybody, but they seem to be like the workhorses of this space vampire community. Uh, And so what they also figured out is that it takes about two hours for this transformation to actually occur. And they also hear that there's somebody on the outside of the compound that has been attacked. We saw her, I think, earlier. Anyway, that looks like her hair. What a mess. Was she alone? No, that's why we noticed it. She was with a dark-haired girl. Real good-looking bird and all. Didn't have a lot of clothes on either. We thought they might be, well, you know. Yes. Well, did you see where they went, where the dark-haired girl went? No. No, we didn't. We angled on back to see if maybe we could, you know, see them doing something. That's when we found her. How long ago was that? Half an hour ago? Yeah, this lad phoned us and then we called you, sir. Yes. Thank you, Inspector. Obviously the work of the girl. You think we could have this body sent back to the centre with the others? Yes, I suppose that's a good idea. 
Inspector, let me know if you find anything else, will you? We'll be taking her back with us. Very good, sir. Now she has clothes. Oh, boy. Now she's able to go and be a part of human society and succubus her way around town. I mean, are you guys trying to, like, call her a slut or something? You know, because now she has clothes and... Oh, no, I guess it's really about, you know, the fact that she really can blend in with human society because nobody will know or won't really notice what she's doing since she just looks like every other girl. They decide to take this shriveled up body back over to the autopsy place uh, and watch to see what happens when everything goes on. At that point, they go downstairs into what seems like, like the basement of the place or the holding cells and... The first guard, he starts reverting back into the shriveled up body that we saw earlier in the film. And eventually he dies. And when he does die, the guy comes over, well, Dr. Fallard, and he pokes him with uh, a long steel tube. And you see that the body has just started disintegrating into dust. As I feared, once transformed, the victims need regular infusions of energy. Otherwise, otherwise what? Well, at that point, Dr. Fowler runs over to the other holding cell that they had where the autopsy doctor was sucked full of life. Because they figured out at that point that two hours about had passed. So what the otherwise is, he gets up and then he starts running at them and he just explodes into dust when he hits the edges of the cell. So basically, they can't sustain the life form that they have unless they're constantly feeding and it seems like it's about every two hours that they have to feed because when the first doctor was killed and the guy came back and he was all freaked out after the when the guard came back, I should say, and he was all freaked out that the fact that all these people were around him. And then about two hours later, when the autopsy doctors started coming back in, he uh, withered back away to nothing. So it seems like it's this never ending cycle of, Hey, in about two hours, you're either going to die or you're going to need to feed again. After that doctor runs into the bars and explode, they decide to go back up to the girl because that time frame has almost passed again. So she starts freaking the fuck out the moment that she wakes up and then slowly, but surely, well, not really slowly. She explodes into a pile of dust and fire. And it's decent effect. Again, the, the animatronics of the now Earth vampire on the table are relatively good. It looks fine. And at this point in the film, I'm not... I, I have to tell you that I'm not disliking what's going on. And this is kind of a running theme. The only thing, again, that I... Like I said in the beginning, it's just a little slowly paced because... We're focusing on main characters that I think are the main characters. And now Dr. Bukowski uh, has basically kind of disappeared from the film during this part. And Dr. Fallard and Kane seem to be the lead characters of the film. We also get introduced to another character that I, for the life of me, can't remember his name. But he's not really as important as Kane is. After they, they see the destruction or the explosion of the young girl that was killed by the succubus, uh, they find out that actually there was an escape pod that did get away from the Churchill, and it looks like it's landed in Texas. She's the last. Have there been any further reports, Kelly? No, sir. We're set up to get the calls here the instant one comes in. What? Nothing. You say these creatures were brought back from the Churchill? Yes, but not this one. She's a victim of the 
creatures. Yes, yes. But where did the Churchill acquire them? We have no way of determining that at present. Perhaps that's all changing. What? I've just received a call from the JPL in Pasadena. It seems the Goldstone tracking disk has just picked up something they think is Churchill's escape pod. Re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. Where? Texas. So we cut over and we see that the escape pod has indeed, in fact, landed within the U.S. And they gather up uh, the colonel and they bring him over to the U.K. relatively quick, to be honest with you. And he's brought in front of Kane and the group to basically answer the questions that they have of what exactly happened on the Churchill. I'm sorry to drag you over here like this, Tom. I'm sure you'd rather be recuperating with a pretty nurse. Tom, we've got to know what happened on the Churchill. Yes, of course. It may be uh, very difficult for you to accept what I'm going to say. We'll have very little difficulty believing anything you have to tell us, Colonel. Do go on. You know something? There was a fire aboard the Churchill. You might be interested to know that the bodies of the three humanoids were not destroyed in that fire. They survived in their cases. They were brought down here to London, and the female has escaped. She's killed three people already. Okay, again, it seems like I can't believe we got you that fast. How quick or how long of a flight is it from Texas to London, to be honest? Like, from here, if I were to do a straight flight, I'm looking at maybe a 14-hour flight to coming from California, maybe a little less. Uh, but... Honestly, Texas is not that far. That's only like a two-hour flight for me. So let's knock off a couple hours. He's going from Texas to London, what seems like no time whatsoever. And here he is, and now he's there. Oh, we know you'd really want to be in front of a nurse. He landed in Texas. Were they already moving him before they figured this out? Uh, Do they have the time to not go after the space vampires? Like... Oh, it's okay, go kill a bunch of people. But no, this movie puts no sense in terms of the time frame of travel from the even from just the US to the UK. There's no way that he would be there that fast for them to all of a sudden be, hey, you just landed in from space. You're probably really tired. The fact that you've been drifting out longer than the Churchill has come back somehow managed to get back onto planet Earth. Not to mention the fact that nobody had any type of, like, signal or anything from this guy. He's just been floating out there for who knows how fucking long. And, oh, we're gonna magically get you over to fucking London from the U.S., from the south side of the U.S., and then we're gonna make you answer a bunch of questions. Uh, Okay. I, I guess that's fine, and I guess that... We don't have to worry about it so much. And, uh, you know, there's no jet lag or, you know, I'm not like I wasn't hurt in anything, even though everybody on the goddamn ship died and I'm the only survivor. Doesn't that seem like that's weird to you? No, it's not fucking weird at all. I just want to make sure you tell us exactly what happened. So he starts talking about the crew and he talks about one guy named Rawlings and how he was the first to die. And he didn't realize that he had destroyed the radio communications when he did. And then the next morning, they found him. We found Rowling's body the next day. (laughs) 
exactly how did he die, Colonel? The life just drained out of him. One by one. The rest of the crew began to die. Somehow. I don't know how. held out just seemed to be a matter of will I always thought the girl okay so I'm gonna punch a hole through one of the bits of logic of this entire fucking film and that's something that we just learned about about 15 minutes ago maybe a little less than that that The vampires, when they suck the life force out of somebody, then that person has two hours before they become a vampire. Now, El Space Succubo, uh, she's up there on the shippo, and she's basically, from what we can tell, she's sucking the life out of everybody. Or it might be the male vampires. Who knows? One of the three is fucking killing the people one by one on the ship. And if she's doing this... How in the hell did they not become fucking vampires again and go after everybody on the fucking ship in the next two hours? Instead, it was days. He was dead the next day when they found him. Did he lock himself up? Did he just disappear somewhere? Did they, like, the space succubus decide, hey, I'm gonna not let this one come back to life? Like, how did it get done? It doesn't really explain that and how there wasn't rampaging, pardon me, uh, vampires up on the whole ship and them trying to escape it. It would have been interesting if there was some sort of story like that. Oh my god, I fought for my life. But no, this movie wants to move so fucking slow that it forgets that the vampires, when they suck the life force out of somebody, that in two hours, they become a fucking vampire. And if they don't feed, they turn to dust. None of the people in this scene are fucking dust. They're just laying there. Like, he puts them inside of, like... It's like he got a giant fucking vacuum sealer and put each one of the bodies in and vacuum sealed them tight so they remained perfectly intact. But, no. There's... With the logic of this movie, there's no way that that should have happened at all. (sighs) Okay, Tom. What did you remember next? What I remember next is a view out of the observation window into Earth's orbit. I couldn't expose the world to what we'd brought back with us. So he didn't know exactly what it was, but he had this weird feeling that something was going down. At this point in the film, I don't think he's a trustable narrator for whatever point. Something else had to have happened in that thing. So they show him going in there and him breaking all the oxygen off and then setting fire with this weird cutting tool To the alien body that they brought back onto the ship. Not one of the naked ones. I'm talking about one of the bat looking like creatures. So he sets it on fire. Gets in the escape pod. And then gets the fuck off the ship. After this flashback. We're back in the room with everybody still talking about what's going on. Bukowski. He tells him that he understands what type of plight that he went through. Of course Tom disagrees with him. It was the hardest thing I ever did. We understand. 
Must have taken great courage to try and make it. No, you don't understand. Part of me didn't want to leave. She killed all my friends and I still didn't want to leave. Leaving her was the hardest thing I ever did. So this is also one of the side things that I saw in this film. And I don't know why it took me this long to notice it. But you can tell everybody but him is British because they all have their teeth. Like, I know that's a stereotype, but literally, there are so many times in this film where they basically like, you want tea? 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 Or they're holding a fucking cup of tea. Like, okay, I get it. It's a stereotype. People like it. Like, I can do the whole, you know, Mexican-American stereotype. I fucking love beans and rice and fucking tacos and chorizo and shit like that yeah i get but if you fucking see you don't need to see me with a burrito in my hand like oh oh yeah uh it's because i'm mexican i've i've got this burrito just wanted to remind you that this makes it so that you know that i'm mexican or how about the street taco this street taco is gonna make it no i don't need to see them having a fucking teacup every time they're fucking discussing something or they're gonna go in something tea tea you want some tea It's just one of those weird side things that shouldn't really bug me, but did bug me about this film. And it could just be a product of 1985. I mean, this is not the Avengers that we're talking about. No, I'm not talking about Marvel's The Avengers. I'm talking about The Avengers, the TV show and both the freaking crappy movie with Sean Connery uh, and Ralph Fiennes, or Ray Fiennes, if if I'm trying to say it right. Uh, You know, where everything happens to you. You know, as kind of a joking type thing. But it's like, really like, seems like they need to push that British stereotype home. So after this, they send poor Colonel Tom on his way. And then Bukowski, he receives a message that something is coming within to the orbit of Earth. I've just reported an unusual structure leaving Haley's Comet. It's headed for us. What is it? Radar ranging reports the object is a... Needle-like shape, 150 miles long. Its present course projects out into a perfect Earth orbit in a little more than two days. Oh, and I've just received a call from the Prime Minister. There's going to be a meeting at Downing Street. PM wants answers. Oh yeah, he wants answers. Why did they change it from an umbrella to a fucking needle? Doesn't really look like a needle anymore, unless of course it's traveling and it doesn't have the umbrella end opened up. Maybe it looks more like a pen. How about now a pin? A pen. Pen works a little better than a pin does. I guess they're about kind of like the same. So from this, we cut over to the colonel and he's sleeping. And then all of a sudden, middle of nowhere, fucking naked ass space succubus comes up and starts seducing him. And he's having this wild dream and she's talking about how much she wants him. And he doesn't know exactly what's going on. And then he wakes up in a hot sweat to everybody rushing in on him. It was a dream. It was just a dream. What dream, Carlson? The girl. She visited me. Visited you? Visited you how? In my mind. She... 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 She, she has some kind of mental contact over me. She's straining me. Tell us about the dream, Carlson. I can't. It's gone. It's faded. I can't remember. Carlson, have you ever been hypnotized? No. Do you mind if I have a go at it? It may help you with your dreams. Yeah. Let's try it. 
So, of course, he doesn't want to explain exactly what the dream was, because it was a sex dream, right? And even in the dream, okay, I don't know how many more times this is going to happen in the film, but this is the third time that I've seen her vag. Uh, it happened when they first came in and they showed it uh, in, in the Crystal Cavern. It happened when she walked around and started you know, coming down the stairs. And now it's happening yet again inside the sex dream. Like, I get that you want to keep with the R rating. I get also this is 1985. But three times? Like, that much? It's a little gratuitous at this point, don't you think? Uh, it just kind of struck me as odd, and at this point I started doing a vag counter for succubus vag counter. Um, so they start the hypnosis, and he begins to explain the control that she actually has over Tom. She seems to speak to me in, in my dreams. She... Girl, I feel. What do you feel for her, Carson? I feel very close to her. Is she in touch with you? I feel as if my mind is not entirely my own. If she is in contact with your mind, Carson, perhaps you were in contact with hers. Can you see her? Can you see where she is? Yes. Where is she now, Carson? Place. I don't know the name of it. She's walking. She has a different face. But it's her. A different face? How can that be? She's using a different body. What is she doing? She's looking for a man. What man? Any man. A healthy man. Does she intend to kill him? No. Why not? She's afraid of being caught. How could she be caught? The body would give her away. So what is she hoping to do? She wants to draw some energy from him. Not enough to kill him. She can do that? Yes. There's another mind. girl's name is Ellen. You mean there are two people in one body? Two minds? Ellen and the vampire? Yes. So, it's kind of a weird situation that we've got going on here, and it gets explained a little more later on in the film. But as of right now, what we're led to believe is that there's two bodies inside of one body. Uh, and not like physical bodies, so they're like her minds inside of it. And... But we were first kind of told that she kind of, it, well, the way they kind of explained it is that, hey, she's inside of this body. Like, she changed bodies. Like, she's a part of the Ginyu Force, right? And she just went up to this lady and she's like, buddy, change! And then, like, threw herself into this lady and left a corpse of the lady by the side of the road. Because we're led to assume that that was the same lady and now she's inhabiting the body of this lady. And that's not quite what it is, and it's one of the other weird, like, little holes in this film. But she used this body, and it's kind of a neat thing if she's able to do the whole Ginyu Force body change thing. And uh, she goes and seduces some older man, 
and convinces him to give her a ride, where she again steals a little bit of his life force, and then uh, has her drop her off, drop him off somewhere. Uh, and what they figure out is that he's able. Tom is able to actually kind of. He has some type of like telekinetic. Uh, lock with her and he can see where she is and he's able to actually read the license plate of the car they turn around take that and they track down this poor old man and they find out where they've taken this ellen bloody awful job tracing that car it belongs to a man named ned thrice who lives in yorkshire we have him under detention now what about the girl the girl he picked up was a nurse named ellen as you said, Ellen is something or other. He doesn't know her other name. But he dropped her off at Thurston Hospital after spending the afternoon with her. He was most reluctant to talk about it. The man's totally exhausted. Thurston? Isn't that an asylum of some sort? Yes, for the criminally insane. Honestly, this makes the most sense in this entire film. Because if you want to hide somewhere, maybe you want to feed on people... Uh, Asylum for the Criminally Insane is not a bad place to go, because who really gives a fuck if those guys die, right? I mean, you could probably pick them off slowly but surely, regain most of your strength, maybe create a couple of vampires out of them, uh, and then just work towards your ultimate goal of taking over the universe. It's not a terrible idea, but the fact that you maybe didn't realize that this guy that you gave a piece of yourself to, uh, and the ability to read your mind and see where you are maybe it wasn't the best idea to do that in the first place like you didn't realize he's coming back and you know you thought maybe this was a one-time thing and you can't really you know fault him for maybe trying to find you uh maybe you instructed him to burn down the whole ship and but you didn't think that he was gonna escape and all of a sudden now he's back in your life and he's ruining your plans it's just It's not a good situation, so just don't give part of yourself to somebody else. That's the ultimate lesson here. So now we roll up to the asylum, and we get to meet the doctor that's in charge, and hey, finally, Patrick fucking Stewart. His name was one of the first names you saw on the title card right after Life Force. I mean, you basically saw that. You saw, I think, two names, and then Patrick Stewart was like the third or fourth name of this film, and here he is. So they talk to Sir Patrick and he leads them to where Ellen is in one of the nursing uh, facilities. Basically, you know, they've got on-site nursing and here's the home that she's staying in low apartment. Uh, Tom and Kane, they rush in and Kane realizes that maybe she's not in the body anymore, but she he's being very, very forceful with her. And Kane needs to know exactly why. It's gone from her. It's in another body now. How do you know that? I can see it in her mind. She's resisting. I'm going to have to force her to tell me. Despite appearances, this woman is a masochist. An extreme masochist. She wants me to force the name out of her. She wants me to hurt her. I can see the images in her mind. Do you want to stay? Otherwise, wait outside. Not at all. I am a natural voyeur. Okay, so what they made it sound like is like, look, this girl, she wants me to tie her up and like fuck her raw dog style. Are you going to stay and watch? And he's like, yeah, I totally am. I'm a total voyeur. This is great. But honestly, it's really that she wants her, well, I'm interpreting as the space succubus really wants 
him to hurt her to make sure that she says the stuff because she does enjoy a little pain. Like he said, she's a masochist. So he knows a little bit about her and he's basically trying to get the information out in a better way than just beating the shit out of her. But that might be the only way that she'll actually say anything to him. So once they finish up, uh, which you don't see anything of what actually goes on and don't learn anything, they go downstairs and they talk to the good doctor uh, and give them a description of somebody that they think that she might have jumped bodies into. Doctor, you better send someone to look after Nurse Donaldson. Is she all right? If I described one of the inmates to you, could you identify him? Possibly. Big man, fat, gray hair, birthmark on his face. Jeffrey Sykes, the child murderer. Where did you get his description? Where is he now? He's in solitary confinement. He's been naughty. Look, what is this about? What we're looking for has moved. We could be here sometime. I'd better call London. May I use your telephone, Doctor? Certainly. We have to see Sykes now. now couldn't this wait until the morning? Oh, all right. I'll arrange it. Anything to oblige, Commander? So, they all go to uh, Sir Patrick's office, and he, Tom, he decides that, hey, you know, if, is, do you have anything that can like put them in type of like a hypnotic state or a uh you know i would say more like a vegetable state than a hypnotic state and he says yeah we can get something like that ready for you why do you need it he's like well because you know we can use it on him and we can get him to talk maybe he'll be more calm and everything like that so he obliges he gets his helper to to create the serum they go inside uh, the asylum to the room of this child murderer. They open up. They see the guy in the bed. Patrick Stewart walks in. Sir Patrick, I'm sorry. Uh, walks in, starts talking like, oh, I'm still not sure why you need to do this. And then Tom turns around and stabs him with that fluid. And it turns out that she's in Sir Patrick Stewart's body. Uh, that was a twist that I didn't really see coming in the way they were doing this stuff because I really thought that, hey, maybe that would. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why she would want to go into somebody that's stuck in the psych ward and not somebody that could easily escape from the place unless she wanted to use the size and build of the body maybe to do some damage if she has to run out of there. Um, so they take him back into the room and uh, I'm going to warn you, the clip I'm going to play uh, is going to be a little loud. I'm going to play a couple clips. I had to split this up into different places. Um, the first one, we're going to find out exactly how Tom figured out that she was in his body. How the devil did you know it was him? In the nurse's quarters, he touched me on the shoulder. I saw into his mind. What? The colonel appears to be able to see into the minds of people who have been possessed by the girl creature, sir. It happens when I touch him. So, it, I have to admit that this is just a little weird here. Because he talks about how he can touch them and he can see into the mind that the people have uh, been possessed by space succubus. And he, when Patrick Stewart touches him, he doesn't really touch any part of his body. He just touches like the... He does, I mean, it is a part of the body, right? When you touch the shoulder, even on the jacket, you're still touching the shoulder. But it's weird that it kind of goes through the clothes, right? Because when he's touching me, he's touching with his hands. And, he, you know, there's at least some type of physical uh, touch that does happen between them. Whether he touches them on the face by either slapping them or just touching them, you know, somewhere. 
uh, and there seems to be a little bit of skin-to-skin contact. But when it comes to Sir Patrick Stewart's character, uh, he just puts his hand on his shoulder, and that's it. That's enough to figure out, hey, there's something and I can see directly into your mind. So they tie him onto the table, and this is where it's going to get a little loud. I try to lower it as much as I can, and I apologize if it does get a little loud in this little section, but it was much louder in the audio of the film than it is here. So he ties him to the table, and they try to find out if they can talk directly to the doctor uh, and then get him in his mind to get the space succubus out so that she can talk to Tom. Armstrong, if you can hear me, just say yes. It, it won't let me t- talk to you. Armstrong! Armstrong! Can you see what it is that's holding you prisoner? Uh, 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 she, yes, yes. She. Tell her she has to talk to me. Tell her! So Tom goes all fucking crazy because he's trying to figure out exactly what she wants with him. And eventually he's able to get to the point where he puts a little more into her and he's, well, into. Armstrong, Sir Patrick Stewart's character, and is able to get her to come out and start talking to him. You in there? Can you still hear me? Can you get into his mind? Her mind? Now with this drug, it's like a wall. Perhaps you've given him too much. Perhaps you shut up! Listen, you bitch. I'll keep you in the state for weeks if I have to. Now you talk to me. Carlson, be with me. What do you want from me? I love you. What are you? Why are you so human? So perfect. What are the bird creatures on the ship? Our bodies are unimportant. As you and your men have approached in your ship, we changed them. For you. We entered your minds and found their new bodies. I took my shape from your mind. I took your language. I became the woman I found there in your deepest thoughts, your deepest needs. I am the feminine in your mind, Carlson. So she's basically like his ideal woman is what she's done. And these space succubus, she can easily adapt her body to whatever society that she wants to visit. So I'm assuming that if she was going to say like uh, Omicron Percy I-8, she'd be able to transform herself into one of those big giant fuckers and uh, make herself, you know, so that Lur would go after her instead of go after, you know, Ananda. Uh that's basically what these people do. And this is actually kind of a neat idea, to be honest with you. I This is one of the aspects of the film that I truly do like. I like a lot of the lore that they do with the vampires. Because they end up kind of relating it back. And there's something that kind of an idea that I had that maybe they didn't flesh out. Or maybe they did, didn't want to really tell you right out. 
uh, of where these guys come from because they do connect it back constantly to the vampires of old uh, and saying that these guys are probably descendants of those vampires or the vampires that we know of and that we write of are actually these guys from space. It's not the clearest thing in the world but it's very interesting and i think that if it was fleshed out a little better then we'd get a better film than what we have here so at this point shit just starts going down all all the room goes all crazy uh people are thrown everywhere the other guy is thrown against the wall and basically kind of breaks his neck uh and kane is trying to revive him uh but he tells him that hey we got to put him on a choppa and make sure that we can get these guys over to the the space station wherever they need so that they can maybe do some work with him and it's at that point that he realizes that in the conversation that he had with her uh that there might be more that they've missed you said the thing hadn't stopped it was still spreading why did you say that i don't know but the girl had been deliberately leading us away from london is it possible we didn't find all of her victims if we didn't find all the victims if there are others besides the girl in the park thing would spread in a chain reaction geometrically until by now What I forgot to mention in the earlier part, too, before this set of dialogue, is that Tom, also known as Carlson, uh, he kept getting closer and closer and closer to Patrick Stewart, eventually kind of making it out with him, and it released a portion of her. And that's what kind of caused everything to go down. Kane comes by, and he stabs two of those hypnotic drug uh, syringes into her, and that causes her to calm down, which ultimately allows them to move them along so they managed to get a helicopter to the asylum and they put both of the bodies on the helicopter and begin flying away while in mid-flight they get a call from fallard who explains that hey the vampires not just her they can also change bodies the male ones can do as well go ahead hey can you hear me Falada, speak up i can't hear you the two males didn't die. They jumped to the bodies of the two soldiers who shot them and transformed the soldiers' bodies into their own likenesses. That's the difference between them and their victims. The victims can't leave their bodies. Only the original three can do that. But I killed one of them. One of which? One of the two male vampires. One of the transformed ones. How did you kill him, Falada? How? The old way, Carlson. A leaded metal shaft penetrating not through the heart, but through the energy center two inches below the heart. Not steel, but leaded iron. Right, Carlson? Are you there, Carlson? Yes. Carlson, you too, Kane. It is my belief that the vampires of legend came from creatures such as these. Perhaps even from these very creatures. I know it sounds incredible. Do you hear me, Carlson? At this point, the body of Patrick Stewart goes through one of the most ridiculous scenes in this movie. Uh, If you have not seen this film, I would advise you to check out the Facebook page because I did post the video of this specific scene and watch it. It is 
the worst special effects I think I've seen in a movie of this time. See, at this point, Patrick Stewart's body starts spewing blood through the most fake fucking, like, animatronic body I have ever seen. And honestly, the rest of the stuff looked really cool. Everything else, I mean, there's a kind of a a hint of, like, 80s-ness to the bodies. Like, you, you know that, hey, it looks a little fake, but still, it looks kind of neat in terms of that it's a practical effect. And here, it is definitely a practical effect mixed with, like, animated blood that's supposed to be flying out of his body and turning into the space succubus so that she can get away. And it's just so laughably bad that it deserves multiple viewings and I just I could get not just could not get over how horrible it looked with some of the other stuff looking so good in this movie that that was pretty bad even like the blood covered succubus wasn't enough to make me like oh and it's kind of like her escaping his mind I get it but it's just so ridiculous, feels so out of place at this point in the movie. Well, after seeing this, Kane realizes that Tom has definitely not been telling him the truth about the experience that he had up there on the church hill. It then cuts over to them looking at a giant column of blue light, and Tom kind of explains what he believes it to be. All those little blue lights going up toward the clouds. They're human souls. How do you know that? I feel it. The process of conversion releases a life energy, and then it can be collected. Collected? Is that what the umbrella is? The collector? The energy doesn't go free. It goes up there. Oh, so now it's back to being a goddamn umbrella, and it's not fucking pen anymore. Or pin, or whatever the fuck it is, okay? It's a fucking spaceship. Just call it a fucking spaceship. We also get to learn more here. They explain it that the male vampires are like the collectors, right? So they're the ones that ultimately go out there and show the souls where to go. So they make the smaller vampires, and she kind of does too. But they're more responsible, I guess, maybe for the long-term vampires. I I don't get it. Because, like I said, what it, it sounds like it is is that the male vampires are the ones that go out there and they make the vampires, right? And they're the ones, those vampires are the soul collectors. So those vampires go out there, collect the souls, and then the male vampires take those souls and transfer them to the female vampire. And she's the one that shoots the skulls up to the spaceship, okay? Not the fucking umbrella, not whatever. I still can't get over that fucking bullshit. How can you just not call it a spaceship? This describes an umbrella. It's a fucking spaceship. You have a spaceship, they have a spaceship. Call it a fucking spaceship. Anyway, so she's the one that directs it back, so that way all the souls are accumulated, and maybe that's the lifeblood that they're going to need to survive on for the next 76 years. So, it's, again, kind of breaking the whole thing. I guess... Maybe there's only enough to sustain these three and not enough to sustain a whole society because when you went to the ship, everybody was dead but these three people, right? They were all kind of turned to dust like this. So they basically will come to planets, this is what I'm assuming, to store the life force of that planet. They come down, they cause all this terror, they suck up as much as they want, then they fucking bounce like bitches and take the lives that they need to sustain themselves for a much further sequence of time. Uh, 
it's weird if it's only these three that control everything, considering the fact that there were tons of them on the ship, and now these vampires are going to be left down below, I guess, with everybody going into hiding until, you know, they can't feed for two hours. Yeah, okay. So, Tom then, he's going to go and he's going to commandeer a vehicle so he can go directly after uh, Space Succubus. Though there was talk about going after Falada, but it's it's kind of weird to be honest with you. Like they do have a conversation, and he tells him that she's drawing him in, but Kane kind of assumes that they need to find Falada to find her. Join me, Kane. I've got to go. Why? She wants back the energy she gave me. When they take on a new life form, they have to learn from that life form. Mate with it, in a sense. The girl chose me. But when she mixed with me, she gave me a part of herself. And now she wants that part back. So because they both kind of actually thought that she was at the same facility that Falada is in... I think that's actually where Kane got the idea that he needs to go there, and that's where Carlson is going after Carlson takes one of the cars and drives off. Uh, he commandeers Kane, commandeers one of the other vehicles to go after him, and they end up going in different locations. So, Tom, there's a kind of an interesting scene where they're driving through the city, where Tom's driving through the city, and there's a good jump scare when the car stops, and one of the Earth vampires jumps, tries to jump into the car. Uh, but he drives off, breaking the arm off, and you get to see the animatronics of the arm and uh, because it's still moving. And it looks kind of neat, and especially for 85. Like I said, when it comes to the vampire stuff, they did a pretty decent job. It's just really that laughable Patrick Stewart scene that you got to see. Uh, so he arrives over there at the uh, what looks like to be a church, and he begins to have his confrontation with the space succubus. Meanwhile, Kane, he arrives over at the Space Research Center that we've spent a majority portion of the beginning of the movie at, where the autopsy and uh, where they interviewed uh, Tom and everything like that. So he does meet up with Falada, and he kind of has an interesting conversation with him. Falada? Kane. I'm glad to see you alive. I reciprocate the sentiment. So you really dead this time? The only way they can be killed. Where's Bukowski? Dead. How? Like the rest. How did you survive? You're looking for Carlson. Has he been here? No. Perhaps he misled you. What do you know about it? I've been doing some more work. Go on. I discovered there is life after death. How do you know? There is a certain mental transference, telepathy that occurs between the vampires and their victims. Carlson is after the girl. How did you know that? Oh, I... 
I seem to sense it. Where is she, Falada? Don't you know? So, of course, he kind of figures out where he's going to be based upon the blue light that they were talking about earlier. And at this point, Falada basically wants uh, Kane here to kill him. And which ultimately he does. And again, you get kind of a laughable scene because he shoots him. And then it looks like the life force that was in him starts coming out of his ass going towards the center. But it doesn't make any sense because I, I can't quite tell if Falada became a new vampire or not. It's kind of implied that he does. Uh, but then when he gets killed, he, like everybody else, his life force comes out and shoots out of his body. But there's nobody there that's collecting it. Unless, of course, because he's killed within the vicinity of a male vampire. The male vampire is the one that's, instead of letting his soul go to where it needs to go, he's directing it towards the blue light. And I'm probably giving the movie too much credit if I explain that. We cut back over to Tom, and he's finally there in front of... uh, our space succubates and she's got her high beams freaking poking out there and luckily this time there's no you know full nudity vag shot like there has been at least four times uh i think up until this point and uh she begins to talking to him about how this is his destiny i need you it was always intended you should find us and bring us to Earth. The web of destiny carries your blood and soul back to the genesis of my life form. Come, be with me. Come with me, Carlson. Don't do it, man. You never fuck with a succubus. Of course, you've already been screwed a couple of times, and not necessarily the good way, but at least once in the good way, right? So, we cut back over to Kane, and Kane is realizing where he needs to go, which is towards the blue light. Uh, He's running with the sword that was used to kill one of the male vampires, uh, and he's going through the city, and there's a random car that just drives by him that I could not figure out the reason why that was there. And it crashes kind of randomly into the background. Uh, he ends up getting to the footsteps of the church and there's one of the male vampires that sits out there. Uh, the, that vampire finally speaks, but it's not worth actually hearing what he has to say. And Kane ultimately has some quip runs up and he ends up killing the male vampire which stops the souls from being shoveled or funneled into the church he runs inside the church and he sees uh the a hole there on the ground and uh he notices that down below there is uh tom and the space succubus they are now naked embrace just making out like hardcore uh and eventually uh tom wants to know exactly why he has these feelings for her what are these feelings why do i feel so close to you need you because you're one of us you always have been you're like me be with me so at this point, Kane takes the sword and he throws it down. And now the thoughts come in my head. 
he's a vampire too and doesn't fucking know it. Like, I, I just don't get it because he doesn't look anything like... When they killed the male vampire, right? Uh, he turns into this Batman creature thing, okay? Batman creature. 50% bat, 50% man, 50% creature. We all know what that is, okay? And he then, you know, he explodes, of course, too. Uh, and if he's... If they're like the vampires of of old lore, then how is he somehow related to them? Like... It just seems like it's something that's thrown out there at the last minute to make things make sense. And I bet you in the book, Space Vampires, it's probably explained a little bit better. Especially if they're trying to make this connection between old school vampires and these vampires, right? Like, the the thought is, and the thought I had towards the end of the movie and after watching this, is that the, every 76 years, these guys come back to collect new souls so that they can survive for another 76 years. But they just trail Haley's Comet and don't do fucking anything. Do they just go planet to planet? Okay, we're going to stop here at Earth because for the for the next like five years, we're going to need to travel over to Jupiter. And you know those fuckers over there, they're like light meals. Everybody over here fucking just, you know, especially the Americans, you know, they eat the crap that they eat. Uh, and we can get a lot of soul out of those guys. Uh, and then we go over to Jupiter and that's where we go. And then another five years, we, we travel around. Maybe we go out of this galaxy you know, they just need... It's like a pit stop on their world tour. Uh, but instead of fucking playing a random kick-ass show, they just fucking eat people. Uh, and then I guess at some point in some time, uh, with his ancestors, which would have been, you know, every 76 years, they say, comes around, then somebody would have gotten that into their blood and maybe helped make the baby, and then that's how he's going to bring them back here. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's just... Like I said, I think it's just nonsense being thrown in there for fucking nonsense sake. So, Kane throws down the sword. Tom grabs it and he stabs her through the center and sacrifices himself by also stabbing himself. Uh, that's when she doesn't die, but she manages to summon up the last of her strength to take herself and Tom back into the space station to where they release all the energy and all the souls into the weird things of that and then the movie just ends right there, and we get the end theme. So that's it. It just kind of ends there. I, I just don't understand like there's questions that got brought up and like I kind of brought up a second ago which was how is he somehow related to him or she's just trying to convince him so that she can go up and maybe that's more of the latter like but she did say that it was his destiny to be the one that brings in the planet to get more souls so they can go back into space and then be with her forever you know but that's also something a succubus would say just to get you interested in them uh, and then you've got things like, are the vampires still a thing? Are they still running amok down there and killing everybody? Or did they all just die the moment that they left the planet? You know, is it just leaving with the souls collected and that's all they needed to do and they could have just? Like, are these people because they, quote unquote, defeated the succubus and the other vampires? Are they going to turn back into people? Like, what the fuck is going on? There's so many unanswered questions at the end of this movie, and even throughout this movie, that make it very difficult to deal with. Uh, that's why, ultimately, 
I'm going to give uh, this movie. This movie gets a three out of five for gore because there's a couple of cool scenes, but it's not completely gory. Uh, but I do like what they tried to do. Actually, it's probably more of like a two out of five, to be honest with you. Uh, the Crab Factor, it's a three out of five. It's right there in the middle. It's got some really good ideas, uh, but it has a lot of crappy plot holes and things that you're just like, where did they go with this fucking thing? And why are they even trying to do this? And why are we introducing these things uh, that make plot points that you made earlier in the film fucking obsolete? And then you bring back those old points again later without talking about what happened here in the middle. And this is a director's cut too. So that means there's more to this film that wasn't really a reast theatrically that I'm still asking these same stupid questions on. The fun factor, it's a 2 out of 5 because I do like some of the lore. I do like some of the scenes. And the animatronics are fucking awesome. The score is fucking great. Uh, but it is so slow moving through a lot of thing, the parts of the film. And that might be because of the whole uh, director's cut version of the film, or it just could be that the film just moves at a snail's pace. So overall, I'm going to give Life Force a three out of five vampire vaginas. Uh, it's It's got its problems. It is entertaining enough to watch it all the way through. I do recommend that maybe you see it once and then kind of make your own decisions from that point if you feel like this should be a regular film from you. Uh, it's not really for me, but I didn't think it was as bad as some people would lead me to believe. It just has a lot of things that are missing. It feels like it's not complete. Like there are parts of the story that they had to change because they're making this theatrical movie versus having a film uh, that was maybe a little bit closer to what the actual book was. And I'm kind of wondering if anybody has read the book that it's based off of space vampires, can you please, uh, shoot me towards, or maybe give me a little description, see if there's anything that was really changed, uh, or if it was very close and true to the film, uh, that would be very interesting to me. All right. So, uh, our next film for the podcast, and this is one I put out a Twitter and Facebook poll, uh, to find out what Underworld movie should I do. I I don't know why I want to torture myself with this one, but I want to do something that's kind of fun, uh, that's a little more mainstream, uh, and something that I absolutely despise. I do not like this franchise, but I've had some people ask, were you ever going to do one? And I decided, what the hell, I'll just ask the listeners out there. So, not as many votes as I would like uh, to have on all of it, but uh, here is your winner. The war itself had become more perilous. The weapons had evolved. But our orders remained the same. Hunt them down and kill them off, one by one. They are the immortal damned. One family lusting for power and wealth. The chain has never been broken, not in 14 centuries. Another driven by revenge. Soon we'll defeat the vampires on their own ground. Blood! You see this human? He's attractive. I can't be positive, but I'm beginning to think the lichens are following him. Hold on, Michael. To you. 
are in the middle of a war that's been raging for the better part of a thousand years. A blood feud between vampires and lichens. Werewolves. Now, a decision must be made. Why did you bring him here? You saved my life. Between an oath sworn centuries ago. Her human. He's not a human at all. He's a lichen. And the power. There can be no such union. Greater than vengeance. You'll be lucky if I can convince the Kaisal to spare your life. Absolution will be yours the moment you kill Michael. That's right, we'll be looking at the very first Underworld film. And I might do one of the other ones in the future, because Rise of the Lycans got a decent amount of votes as well. Uh, and that's one that does not star Kate Beckinsale, and maybe I can stomach it. Uh, but I have to admit, the soundtrack for this film, this is going to be two films in a row, but the soundtrack for this film is fucking phenomenal the artists that they gathered together to do the soundtrack for the film and even the stuff that was kind of the in-betweens of it is great it's amazing and i'm glad that the song that's in the trailer is not on that fucking soundtrack because that song is garbage uh but even looking back on this trailer i cannot believe how excited i was to see this film when it first was announced i thought it was really fucking cool and then i went and saw it and oh my god so thank you guys for picking the next film that i'm going to be torturing myself with uh which is underworld so as always you can follow the podcast on twitter at t underscore t underscore podcast and maybe you too will be like Badgerman badger at Badgerman Badger and be able to select one of the films that I'm going to be uh, discussing. I thank him very much for giving me uh, the option of seeing Life Force. It's something I don't think I would have saw myself or, you know, even after, like I said, listening to somebody else talk about it and uh, kind of get into it. Um, it wouldn't have been one of my choices. So I'm glad that I saw it. I'm glad it's not as bad as I was led to believe it was. Um, and I appreciate it. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook page for the podcast, which is facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast. If you could please, uh, give us a like there, it would be very much appreciated. I'm trying to get that page to get more. You look 500 people on Twitter follow, but only 19 people fall on Facebook. Come on guys, let's get on it. Uh, I tried to do a couple of different things, but, uh, you know, I'll have to update the way the page page works. Uh, and if you have any ideas, please let me know how you'd like me to moderate that a little better. Uh, you can also email suggestions over to terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I always look at the movies if they come through that way. And uh, maybe one of the movies that you suggest will be up uh, as a future episode. And uh, that's it for me this week. Or this episode, I should say. And uh, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2017, and we'll see you on the next episode, Underworld. Bye-bye.